0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of She's in Tech. My name is Lindsay Browning and I'm a senior software engineer at this start. With me today is Susan.
1: Hi, my name is Susan. I am currently working as a community engineer at StackBlitz, and you can find me on Twitter at Suki Supremo. Joining us today is
0: Sue Hinton. Welcome, Sue. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks so much for
2: joining us. Hey, are you looking to join a team that gets to work on really cool projects, great technology stacks like React, Gatsby, Contentful, AWS, and tons more? Similar things for Vue and Angular. If you're looking to grow in your career, work with an inclusive team that cares about the culture and be part of something that you can be passionate about, then you should apply to work at this.labs. They focus on giving back to the community and having their developers do things like write blog posts and be on podcasts to help them enrich their careers as well. They're currently looking for engineering managers, senior architects, and senior software developers in React, Vue, and Angular. So if you're interested, send an email to jobs at this.co.
0: Before we get started, would you like to tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in the tech industry?
3: Sure. So I grew up with our computers for a little bit. And then we received a hand-me-down computer when I was, I think, nine years old and it was a Commodore 64, right? So no graphical user interface, nothing like that. I think it was at least five years behind. I think most people were on Windows 3.1 at that point and had an actual mm-hmm. PC. And so I was really excited about it because I heard that you could connect printers to computers. And I was very, very artistic and creative as a child. So I just wanted to kind of extend my creativity to creating computer art and then printing it. So my my dad also managed to find like a dot matrix printer, the one mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the holes on the side of the paper mm-hmm. that you get to like rip <laughs> off later, which is so much fun. And he sat me down in front of the computer and I was like, well, how do I use this thing? And, you know, there's like these manuals stacked up of all of their kind of, I guess, the programming commands, which was in basic programming language. And I kind of just learned how to, mess around with computers from there and then sort of just, you know, had a couple of hours a day max, you know, because of other people wanted to use the computer and no internet or anything like that. So it's just everything that was in those manuals was what I had. And, and so that sort of explains how I got into computers. And we can go back to how I got into the industry. But nowadays, several decades later, uh, <laughs> I'm a senior software engineer at um, Stripe, and I work on developer tools. So You know, Stripe has an API that allows you to do all sorts of things, but the main gist is that you can take online payments. And so my team's responsibility is to ensure that we provide you with extra tools that just make interacting with our API really, really nice. And so I'm the tech lead of that team, and I also obviously write code at the same time. So we maintain the Stripe CLI, the Stripe client libraries. So you know the Node.js, the Ruby, C#, sharp all of those libraries that um, are just basically thin clients for calling the API. And we also are responsible for the developer dashboard, which is just the developer sort of nerdy part of the um, when you log into Stripe online. And the last thing we just came out with a VS Code extension which allows you to just have a a very nice sort of more of a point and click and graphical user interface of our Mm -hmm. CLI. So those two things talk very closely together and give you a nice experience. And so I guess I just kept learning how to program computers on my own. And then when we got dial-up internet, many, many years later, I think I was 18 years old by the time I got the internet at home I was already programming web pages, saving them on a floppy disk, catching the bus to the library, Mm -hmm. using the library internet to upload them to GeoCities and tripod hosting and things like that. So honestly, I didn't realize you could get a job in tech actually doing that kind of thing. And so I basically fell into front-end development after doing a couple of years of technical school, just learning how to do video and sound production and stuff that was sort of mostly unrelated to... Programming, I guess. So that was sort of very, sort of windy way of how I ended up into tech, and then just over the years, so I've got almost two decades of experience now in in the programming field. So halfway through my career, I moved to the US and started working for American companies. And now I'm at Stripe. Wow, it's
0: it's amazing, right? How how far the industry has come. Just yes. just hearing you talk about <laughs> the, <coffee. laughs> the Commodore sixty four is is actually the first computer I remember having. And we used to nice. enjoy, we used to enjoy a game called Flimbo's Quest. I don't know. If oh yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> That was such an amazing game. And and <laughs> when you look back at that now, and when you look at games today, you realise exactly how far how far yes. we've advanced, right? It's amazing. Hundred percent,
3: yes. Uh, our graphics cards, especially.
0: <laughs> yeah. So hardware hacking is something you've you've mentioned on your website, and something that you're, you're keen on and interested in. How do you? How do you get interested in something like that? Obviously, I, I guess your background kind of alludes to mm. so your interest, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? What yeah, sort of I think you're, involves?
3: totally. I think you're on the right track there. I think that I never really left my Commodore 64 days behind. Like I loved the idea of poking registers and then you get a sprite to show up on on the screen and things like that. And and so I think I've just always really loved constraints in computing. I mean, I work for, for Stripe now and we have we have what, Most large tech companies have now in terms of a high amount of utilization of our services. So we have big scaling issues. And so they are constraints that we have to solve every day. And so that's also why I love working at Stripe. But with hardware or embedded devices, it's exactly the same. It's just you have far more ruthless constraints, I guess. And so that kind of puzzle has always been really interesting to me. You know, How do you get the absolute, squeeze the absolute most out of devices, even when you just learn about how, you know, with the Nintendo Entertainment System, used the exact same chip, right? The 6502 as the Commodore 64. And reusing the um, sprites on the on their sprite sheet, the clouds were also, you know, the bushes on the ground and they just flipped the color palette. But it's the exact same, you know, set of pixels. Just little things like that I just find super fascinating and they're, they're much more interesting problems to me. But um, because I don't have an electrical engineering degree, it's not really a career that I'd be able to pursue unless I did that. So it just more became a hobby, I guess. And I just sort of like went with the flow of what I already knew how to do and didn't need a degree for in the field. So, yeah, I just I just love having a knowable system. I think a, a friend of mine who hacks Nintendo Entertainment Systems really put it fantastically when he said the 6502 was one of the last chips that was completely knowable right? When you think about all of the different assembly commands of a 64-bit architecture now, it's just, it's impossible for you to know what every single transistor does. And that's great, you know, that we have abstractions for that reason. But there's something really amazing about being able to just like push at a device and you can like, actually feel that change much, I guess, much more sort of obviously than than you can nowadays. I
1: have a question based on that, actually, especially growing up around tech and being interested in that. Have you ever considered like video game programming or did you feel like this sort of portion of tech is something you wanted to keep as a hobby instead?
3: No, it's a great question. I did for my Capstone project in technical school, I did make a Flash game (laughs) and Mm -hmm. we, we also sort of learned very, very basic game programming in Flash during my time there that was something that i really really loved doing i just did i I actually didn't think it was just feasible to get a job and so i think i just thought i'm just gonna go into web development and see how i feel and i guess i never left i think it's good Mm -hmm. to keep it as a hobby i've heard really bad horror stories about crunching things in gaming and also i think Mm -hmm. i'd probably just want to be an indie gamer and release my stuff on itch.io i guess so yeah when you think about hardware too i did actually make a game that connects hardware so that it was like a chatbot that you talked to and it would affect the hardware around you. And so I still wow. sort of explore that in my spare time. Yeah, and I think that's also why I like hardware. It's not just the constraints, it's the fact that you get those basic input outputs that you can connect to things like sensors and motors and things, and you get to actually kind of like, you know, spill into the real world as well. So it's a great question. I just, I'm afraid of the crunch, I think, more than anything. <laughs> Very cool though. That's awesome.
0: It's amazing. I mean, a lot of what you talked about went over my head in all, all, all honesty. I'm not a big hardware sort of expert or anything. How do you, obviously you've got an interest in it, but is there any way you can go to start to learn this sort of thing? And like any sort of websites, any, any resources you can point to?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, we've been talking about how much the industry has changed and it's the same thing with hardware. I mean, I learned how to kind of start poking at that stuff actually, when I did my trade school diploma, my teacher just brought in an arcade cabinet he'd built and he broke it down for us and showed how he put it together. And it was just a Saturday bonus class he he put on for us. And you had to, you know, take a, PS2 keyboard connection and hacker keyboard in order to get those input outputs for your arcade buttons and things. And so that was how you did it. You just went and you dumpster-dived and you took old keyboards that were very specific, you know, connection Mm -hmm. type. The PS2 had, I think, the least amount of ghosting at the time. That's why they were so coveted. But now, (laughs) you know, since you're asking how to get into it now, it's so much easier. And so usually I recommend people look up the Arduino ecosystem so that's arduino.cc a-r-d-u-i-n-o it's uh, an Italian word because that's where mm. the company is from so I usually recommend they look into that ecosystem because it's very user-friendly it was created for artists to be able to program devices so it, it was designed for non-programmers to get their head around and then the Raspberry Pi um, ecosystem is always is also fantastic because you get a little bit of extra computing power, you get Linux with it, which is a little easier to get started with since you actually get a proper operating system on those devices. So usually I just recommend the Raspberry Pi ecosystem, the Arduino ecosystem, both of their, you know, official home pages just have like so many tutorial launching points to get started. So if you've got a little bit of money you can save. You usually need about 50 bucks US to get started with uh, a bunch of stuff to play with. And that's usually what I recommend.
0: It feels very similar to the evolution of sort of web technologies where you have, you know, your you lower, lang- lower level languages like C++ and C, and then you've got these sort of higher level abstractions mm-hmm. like JavaScript. And it does feel very similar to, um, in that space as well. Um, yes. Awesome. Okay. So one of the things you, you also do is live... Coding sessions on Twitch—that to me is very interesting. How did how did you get started with that? How do you go about building an audience? I guess is, is the question.
3: Yeah, usually the disappointing answer I offer is that I didn't try to build an audience. <laughs> I tend to just do whatever I feel like doing. Okay. So it's the same on Twitter and and Twitch. But how it actually started was that I watched a friend stream themselves maintaining an open source repo of theirs, and it's a very popular one. Unlike my mm-hmm. repos, which we'll talk about later, but. I was fascinated by, you know, his workflow was so different from mine because he has like a ton of issues coming in and he has to triage them and he gets like 30 seconds to really just get the gist of it and figure out whether it's something he should fix or delegate to somebody else. And I was like, this is just absolutely fascinating to me to see like what I guess a quote unquote real open source maintainer, you know, deals with. Mm. And I said to him, look, people are always thinking that I'm some magician just because the stuff I work on is to do with embedded things. But I got sucked into the javascript robotics ecosystem because the people are really nice and that's why i started writing i guess missing drivers that we didn't have for certain embedded devices and i was like well at the end of the day i'm still writing javascript it's not as if it's this kind of mysterious land in between and like you said the abstractions we have a lot more options now right it's not just c and c plus plus and so i thought i asked my friend and uh whose name is Nolan Lawson, I said, what if I streamed? Like, do you think people would even find it interesting or would they just find it impenetrable or just very, very niche <laughs> and boring? And he's like, the, the, the thing, I'll never forget what he said. He, he said, you'd be surprised at what people will find interesting. And that mm. comment, our little conversation is still actually on that YouTube video of his, that was his <laughs> live stream. And so I just thought I'd give it a go. And I, I think I had maybe three people at the beginning. And then somehow... I ended up with just hundreds of people every weekend. And part of that was because I kept getting asked how to how to get started and what equipment to have and things like that. And it was so mm-hmm. repetitive and I was copying and pasting the same email and Twitter DMs over and over again. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to write this as a blog post, just like blat it out onto my blog and just like forget about it. And it, it blew up on Hacker News, you know, whoever put it on there was clearly thinking it was useful. And so I think that a lot of people didn't really know that there were programmers on Twitch, which, you know, I'm not the first, but I think it was the first time they realized that people were there. So definitely got a lot of traffic as a result of that.
0: That's really cool. You mentioned there about writing. Something I wanted to talk to you about was you're a co-author of JavaScript Robotics. What Mm -hmm. was that like? I saw that there was quite a lot of writers for that book. How was yes.
3: that experience that was a particularly special book because I'm not sure I've ever seen a book that has 16 authors before. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I'm guessing that's why you're curious. You know, how did that come yeah. about? Um, yeah, and so Rick Waldron, who is the author of the um, one of the most popular JavaScript, Arduino, and you know, beyond uh, frameworks, he was approached to write a book, and and he just said, "Well, look, there's all of these other really great people in there in our community who." have done amazing projects and would just be able to put different spins rather than him coming up with lots of different projects, right? And so the book was intended to, to sort of give you a holistic view of Hera, the, the Here's the big variety of things you can do with JavaScript robotics and just with his library, Johnny Five, which is the very clever name he gave it. And so instead of him just taking all the glory, he decided to uh, delegate, delegate a chapter each to, to a bunch of people. And he just asked us with no pressure, like, would you like to contribute a chapter? Do you have a wow. project that you've made that you'd like to kind of write up as an official tutorial? And so that's how that came about. So it was just a bunch of us friends. And, you know, we we were sort of all in, I think, a Gitter chat at the time, which was, you know, the popular open source GitHub linked chat service. And we were just going back and forth. And it was kind of like a little hardware chapter writing party. You know, we were comparing notes and things and it was a lot of fun. And so I absolutely relished the experience. And. I've heard that writing a book is really just like incredibly strenuous and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a nightmare and not many people want to repeat the experience. But I think having that scope to just one chapter and having other people to talk to and knowing it was a collaborative effort just made it much more of a special experience, I think,
0: for me. Yeah, that's amazing. And going back slightly to the previous topic, we were talking about teaching. I think a lot of people may struggle to start and maybe a little bit nervous about what people may think, like, you know, sitting on Twitch and live streaming a coding session, what advice would you give to someone who may want to start doing that, but maybe just a little bit scared or nervous about Mm -hmm. doing so?
3: Yeah, I've got a few tips for that. I feel like I'm cheating because uh, something that I admitted from my background intro was I was a teacher for a couple of years (laughs) throughout my career, and I went and got a uh, what's called a certificate for in training and assessment. So you do learn the basics of like teaching at a community college level, I guess, so I, I leaned back on that a little bit, but as far as like specifically for things like Twitch and things, the things that worked for me was first thing, making sure you've got a friendly face there who can be a moderator for you. So mm-hmm. if you do get trolled or if you do have somebody that's just giving you a bad time, they can be there to, to be to have your back. And then it also, you know that you're not just talking to the void you know, and that there's no <laughs> one there tuning in, right? And you see that zero... Zero viewer oh. <laughs> number, and it's kind of demoralizing, right? And so if your friend is there and they're sort of like coming up with useful questions so that you can have mm. some interaction with the chat, that can just take a lot of the fear out of it. And just remember, you can always turn off the stream anytime you want as well. You don't have to like mow through it just because you plan to do it for an hour. And then the other tip I would give is the first four that I did, first four streams I did, I literally rehearsed what I was going to do. And so I ended up creating a lot of extra open source work for myself because I would create a branch. I would do the work. I'd, I would see where I was going to get stuck because I was just so nervous and my self-esteem. And I was like, what if people think I'm a terrible programmer? Am I going to just like like eject myself from my career, even though I've been successful? And so I just rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And then was like, okay, here are the things that I would have got stuck on. And because when you're multitasking and looking at the chat and people are watching you and you have this light in your face, you're just mm-hmm. not programming like you normally do. And so you're going to get stuck on silly things that you normally would, just glide right over so if you feel that that's necessary you've got to invest that extra time the night before you know or or a couple of hours before then you can just delete the branch and just like act as if you know you've never really tackled that thing that you want to show before and um, I know that like a lot of people who record tutorials even just offline they have like a sheet in front of them that just has the the basic points or like you know maybe just like a particular programming line just to jog their memory and so Mm -hmm. having a little script especially for the first few streams is fine until you feel more comfortable winging it I guess
1: that's super helpful I feel like because you kind of present two different ways I feel like some people might go about this one is being completely 100% you guys, this is my first time and you're seeing it. So we're just like yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. But on the, And so, you know, in that sense, it's like, that takes, uh, to me, that's very brave as someone who's still on this, like the junior dev level, as well as just always eternally panicking about tech interviews. Sure. Like, yes. that's what it seems like to that's, me. Like, that's oh, what it you're, feels like. It does. Hey, you're yeah. basically like whiteboarding or doing a coding exercise mm-hmm. with people. Yep. But probably worse because you're probably not getting the help that you would normally get. In, in <laughs> but on the flip side, I think this shows a lot of preparation that's needed to make these happen, right? So whether you're putting together a script, running through the this tutorial style yourself, like, I mean, it's basically almost like a presentation, but maybe a little bit more interactive and a little bit more fun. So I think you sharing those tips really opens it definitely opens my eyes to appreciate like how much work goes into streaming. Right. And whether you're streaming for games, coding, just teaching something, whatever it is. So, you know, I know a lot of people who have, who have, previously taught and they're like, Hey, I kind of miss teaching, but now that, you know, I'm a software developer, I don't really know how to melt the two. So, you know, mm. i see people go through the route of either working, being an instructor as a camp or just hosting mentor night type of stuff and just helping people in their own time. But I think streaming, especially when it comes to programming and coding is such an interesting way to melt the two. So it'll be really exciting, you know, even, even in the next year or two, to see more of that come up so that's super exciting and I'm glad that that's something that it sounds like you really enjoy doing right now so I hope that continues to be a fun hobby for you and you know something you continue pursuing.
3: Yeah I think I really appreciate you saying all of that I think it's a very keen observation that a lot of people do do it just because they miss teaching or maybe you know when they were doing their masters they had office hours with students and they sort of really really delighted in that and it's very difficult to find that at work if you don't have the time to mentor others or if your company is just going through a weird stage where they're not hiring entry-level developers. There's there's just mm-hmm. literally no one for you to mentor and you don't want to be mansplaining to all of the seniors around you, you know, the things that they already know. It can be very difficult to find a foothold in that. And so that was a really good expression of of teaching for me but also just finding other people who might actually have a better way of doing things like Mm -hmm. it sort of helped me place where my skills were even though you know your programming is pretty rubbish when you're under pressure like that but um it kind of helped me place my skills and also a lot of people just picked up random command line tools that I use they're like oh I didn't even know that that existed or I didn't even know that you could make your vim IDE look pretty, right? You know, and and just things like, oh, well, what font are you using in my editor? Something I got so many mm-hmm. times, and so even some of the meta stuff that's outside of what you're actually teaching, people have given me amazing shortcuts on the command line. They're like, oh, you could just do it this way. I'm like, wow, I've been doing this for ten years, and <laughs> I've just been <laughs> typing this out every time. And like, that's a great, that's a great flag to use instead. So it's been more of a collaborative experience, which I mm-hmm. think that during teaching. Or when you're running a workshop, you just don't see that. So I actually think it's like another level above. So I think what you're saying is is very, very true
1: yeah yeah i mean i even just the last thing you said is so helpful because like even as someone who's been in the field whether a decade a year or whatever it is Mm -hmm. you're always learning something new when you're interacting with the community and i hope at least through the avenue of whether it's hosting something publicly you know streaming on twitch whatever it is like it encourages people like there's a lot of jerks out there and there's a lot of people who are not helpful on purpose Mm -hmm. But there's so much good out there too. So when I talk to other junior devs or bootcamp grads, and a lot of them ask about networking, how do you get to know people and get involved in the community? And I am personally a huge advocate of Twitter. Like, I think there's a really strong Twitter community. I feel like I've met a lot of great people through Twitter. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of other platforms that just happens to be one that worked for me. At the same time, you see a lot of garbage out there. And sometimes you gotta sift through a lot of garbage before you find the gold. So I think. With your experiences that you're sharing, it's a testament to all the good that can come out from these experiences. So it's when you try something new, especially sometimes I would say most of the time it doesn't work out the first time, but Really, what you're experience or what you've experienced is like this testament of trying it again, trying something different, listening to different feedback and other things. And I feel like that's so uplifting for people, especially in sort of our current current climate, if you will, with the pandemic and just depending where you're from. There's so much going on in the world right now that. It can be really discouraging, I feel like, especially Mm -hmm. for people who are new to tech or women in tech, where there may not be all the same resources and tools back in the day or for someone of a different stature. But like, there is support out there. There is help out there. And there are people that want to support you. So I think I, I love that your experience really highlights that. And so I hope people who are listening can have that type of takeaway and feel more confident about trying this new thing in tech. Maybe someone's been wanting to stream on Twitch for a while, but was really unsure, but it's like, hey, Susan's done it. Like, mm-hmm. let me, you know, maybe I can give it a shot and see how it goes. So um, so thank you, that's so helpful to share and it's really honestly encouraging for other people.
3: Absolutely, and if you've got time for a quick like two minute story too, just on that, you sure. don't always have to be the person who is streaming. And so um, the story mm-hmm. that I'll tell just to, to prove that is I had two people who, just we're continually showing up to my stream every week. Just really, really lovely people. One person lived in the Netherlands and the other person lived in, I think, Germany. Yes. And so one of them was helping me so, so much with that. I was, I was creating a new, I guess, um, IoT app with Vue because I wanted to teach myself the Vue framework um, for, mm-hmm. on the front end side. I'd never used it before. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to build the app in this. And then obviously because I'd use React and Ember in the past, I'm doing sort of React-ish and ember things in Vue. Mm-hmm. And like Vue reminded me so much of Ember that I was doing weird patterns because it felt the same to me. And I guess it would be similar with like Ruby and Python. They feel similar and Ruby is sort of like launched off from some of the patterns in Python. And so, you know, she was helping me so much with that. And uh, yeah, her name is Rianne, and... I really appreciated that. And then somebody else came in called Philip, shout out to Philip as well, who was also just sending me pull requests and just really got attached to the to the project and wanted to contribute to it. And so, you know, I would come into my stream and I would go over his pull requests or their pull requests, sorry, and just, you know, merge them. We would celebrate that. And then Rianne would start to actually, you know, I made them both collaborators of the repo and mods mm-hmm. in my channel. Then Rianne would start merging in Philip's pull requests and things like that. And they started sort of like having a bit of a chit chat and things. And it turns out that Philip was actually finishing up their college degree and, you know, was looking for a potentially just looking to get into the industry as a junior developer. And because Rianne saw those skills just right out both in the chat and of Twitch, but also through the pull requests. Mm -hmm. she said, are you looking for a job? Like, would you be willing to move from Germany to the Netherlands? Like we've got an opening and, you know, it's, it's, we work on view at work, you know, and I think you'd Mm -hmm. be perfect. And would you be open to an interview? And so he p- packed up all these things and they now work together. And yeah, it's just a really beautiful, Ooh. wholesome story. I wanted to cry when they told me. Oh. Um, and, you know, they, they, they told everyone in the chat, like, Phil's going to come work with me. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And so last year, just before the pandemic, I actually uh, flew out and met them in person. I met some internet friends and it was the most wholesome experience I've ever had. We yeah, went around Amsterdam and just hung out for an entire day and it was just absolutely magical and so not only can you really actually build real friends around the world but this person found a job without even having to turn on a stream themselves if that makes sense
0: wow that's amazing what a cute
1: story
2: hey folks it's charles maxwood and i just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that i'm doing it's free it's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call, and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up, and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software, so it's pretty straightforward, and what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes, and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up, and then we'll just answer questions, and it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream, and then I say rocky road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up.
1: I was like, when you told me that he was offered like, hey, you want to work with me? I felt like I got butterflies in my stomach because I was (laughs) so excited for him. (laughs) How fun. Okay. So I have a little bit more of a, I guess, kind of highlighting your current position, if you will, like, Mm -hmm. especially growing up, being very interested in tech and coding. Now that you're in a senior position where I imagine you're either managing teams or managing projects, I I feel like there's people in the industry who are, you know, they've been developing for a few years now. They're probably approaching that senior level, but now they're trying to figure out, okay, do I want to continue to code and be more of a Mm -hmm. principal engineer or do I want to go into management? And quite honestly, I hear more often than not from other women in tech who are kind of unsure, but somehow they just end up in the management position. And sometimes it's not intentional. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious for yourself, do you feel like I would based on the experiences and the background that you've shared with us, I feel like you are pretty technical as a person. So do you feel like managing people or managing projects is something that came naturally to you and you feel like, hey, this is kind of a path I want to go? Or do you feel like it was just a different skill set maybe that you were interested in learning? Or did you just feel like you wanted to change and try something new because I definitely find that people who end up being in management positions or even team league positions, uh, they don't code as much as they used to. And then, you know, after some time, they're like, oh, man, I really missed the coding part of my job. But now I'm in this management position where it's really hard to find the time to do that without feeling mm-hmm. burnt out. Um, totally. So Whether it's at Stripe or other places you've been, do you feel like it's been a struggle to find that balance? Or do you sort of have this formula where like, yes, I found the thing that works for me and it's great?
3: Yeah, wonderful questions. I I feel like I haven't quite found what works for me yet, but I sort of can put it in perspective of, I know what I definitely don't want to do. And I definitely Mm -hmm. don't want to be a manager who has people reporting to me. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I've been able to, I, I tend to be pretty eager to please. And I tend to just, I don't have these sort of, my identity is not wrapped up in work as much. So I'm not always chasing Mm. the promotions. I'm not always trying to get more influence. I'm not sort of trying to over-index on that stuff. So I'm pretty good at being able to know what I don't want to do. And the rest is just like, I will... I will go wherever I'm the most useful, but with management specifically, even if I would be useful there, that that's just not something I want to do. so that's always been my hard line. I'm just not interested in the people' stuff as much, even if to a degree you know I can show that that leadership just subtly through my everyday engineering. But I think what's been nice is that a lot of companies recognize that that's not always something people want to get into they're also very aware that women don't always want to be pushed out of the technical side of things just mm-hmm. because they're showing some kind of skill set in people's skills, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that keeping keeping people in technical roles where they want to be, where they're showing people skills actually just does more to raise the bar for other people in technical skills saying, mm-hmm. hey, like, sure, you can be really, really great at computers, but As you become more and more senior, you absolutely need to be better with people. And yes, Mm. that might not come naturally to you. And it didn't to me at all. It's been a really long journey for me to figure out how to collaborate successfully with other engineers. And so, you know, keeping those people there where they want to be also just helps raise the bar and helps them mentor others to become better engineers through the way that they work with other people. And so the tech lead position at just about every company I've been a tech lead at, which has been three. I was a tech lead at Zappos. Kickstarter and now Stripe, it's definitely more of a hybrid role. So um, my manager has, you know, I report to my manager, the whole team reports to my manager, no one reports to me. I work very closely with my manager and our product manager just to, for me to be able to bubble up issues like tech debt, or a lot of the time I'm sort of in an architect position as well, where I'm sort of designing things and writing specifications and guidelines and I'm not always ending up implementing them. You know, a lot of the time I'm handing them on to other people who can own that project all the way through the rest of the way. And that gives them experience. So, you know, I get sort of my technical outlet there. Um, and then, you know, I'm still owning projects sometimes. I mean, I the last year I've designed two different new APIs for Stripe. And then, you know, you have to figure out what's that going to look like in the client libraries. Can we feasibly, feasibly write this in code? I guess like as a tech lead, your job is just a lot more random and you have to be okay with a lot more ambiguity. And so Mm -hmm. one day you're coming in and you're you're throwing together a prototype to unblock a senior who doesn't think that they can do the, the work. And so you give them a crappy prototype to sort of say, this is sort of along the lines of what I was thinking, but you can do a way better job with the focus time you have to make this better. And then the next day it will be me hunting down a bug that's been paging our team for two months Mm -hmm. and no one's got the time to look at it. So I sort of try and steal a couple of hours a day to just sort of chase that down, fix it. And then the team is unblocked and much more productive. And so to be honest, you have to be okay with not having this thing where you get to ship something all the way through and it's got your name Mm -hmm. all over it. And you get to be like, this was all me. You know, it's more that you are a catalyst and you are an unblocker. And you're not afraid to get your hands dirty with legacy code. And you're not afraid to mentor people and really help them believe that, yes, you can own this and you don't need me. They're holding your hand and I can get you started kind of thing. And so it's, it's a very mixed bag. Some days I feel like I did nothing and I feel really down in the dumps. And I think I didn't do anything good today, but then you'll get a random comment from someone on your team where they just say, I'm just so glad that you're here. And you've really helped me understand how to be a better engineer or you unblocked me that time. And then we were able to release this with the API design that I really wanted. And you made me feel like I could do that. And so it's very, very meaningful. It's just not really pulling tickets off Jira every day, right? It's it's very different work, I guess. And so I want people to know, I guess, after all this rambling, you know, just trying to describe my day as best as I could, that there are other options and they do require you to still code and still be constantly technically upskilling. It's just that you really have to get better at context switching and you have to be okay with the fact that the context switching is probably going to hamper your productivity. You Mm. are going to have days where you just feel like crap because you were in too many meetings and you didn't get what you wanted to get done. But it's sort of the nature of the job. You're there to be the technical support for the team. And so you'll be dropping things left, right and center just to react to something, I guess. Wow. I
0: I really admire the the fact that you've chosen your path and you've stuck (laughs) to it. Because I think for a yes. lot of people and even, you know, even myself in the past, I've had experiences where I've felt eager to please. And I felt like I yes. have to go down a specific path just to, to please and to get what, where I want to go. So I think yep. that's
3: admirable. Definitely. Yeah, it's tough. I'm I'm totally with you on that. And, you know, the first time I was a tech lead, I regretted it. You know, I was mm. like, I just, I'm not ready for this role. I'm not getting what I need. This sucks. I'm never doing this again. And just going back to engineering, but the, The fact of the matter is if you're a senior engineer, whether or not you're the tech lead on the team, you are still going to be expected to to kind of have days like this. And Mm. the irony is you finally get comfortable with programming and you finally get more confident with your skill set. And people all of a sudden want you to do something new and you're like, no, 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 I I want to be happy. I want to actually like finally flex these skills and like, you know, be be the hero. And now you're asking me to switch gears. And so I think that it is hard, especially as a woman, to say no to those things, especially mm-hmm. when it's quite clear that you might be the only one in, on your team or in the org that really is is qualified for that management position. And you're going to let somebody down by saying no. Very, very difficult for me to have maneuvered in my career. But I also know that no one will be happy if I say yes. So you know what I'm saying? Like I know myself and I know what I'm, I know what I can do and burning out four months later because it was a bad decision is not what anyone was
1: really yeah i think you bring yeah, up that's... an important
0: oh sorry so, sorry oh, yeah, i'm just gonna say you bring up an important point there about being able to say no it's important not to say yes every time it's okay yeah, you've got to no. remember
3: you have to remember that if i say yes now it feels like it solves the problem on the spot is it a, is this the correct yes long term i guess mm-hmm. and if you can somehow communicate that to people or let's say you can time box something and say i will be a tech lead for six months And we're going to hire a staff engineer and we're going to be very clear to them that it's a tech lead role and then we will transition me out, you know, and I know sometimes things go wrong and it doesn't always work out that way. But if you can also time box things, if you feel that you want to give it a try, but you know that it's not something that you're equipped to do long term you can actually negotiate those things if you're at the right company and you have the right leverage. So sometimes you have more leverage than you think you do. And I think at Stripe, it's been a great place for me to really test those boundaries and and Mm. actually negotiate these things. And it's been incredibly rewarding for me, but also the company has benefited in the end too, right? Because we're, we're trying to get to the best solution.
1: That's awesome. Like a lot of what you've shared actually outlines, I feel like a lot of tips that people would share with junior devs. And I know yes. like I've been in a lot of different sessions where junior devs would be like, if you were to talk to your past self, like what tips would you have? Yeah. And particularly with what you've just shared, you talk a lot about communicating, right? Like you are mm-hmm being explicit about the support that you need and you are open to different options and collaborating and working with the team. And I think, you know, especially now that you're in a senior position, I imagine that when you work with people who who take these tips seriously and try to apply them, um, there's a lot of appreciation for the group in general because you guys are being honest with each other, open to communication and like you said about you know when's the best time to say yes and no right is the yes mm-hmm. right now a good investment for down the road you know is the yes now a better choice than the no down the road or vice versa so mm-hmm. i love that you're kind of emphasizing all that and i know that we have quite a few junior developers who listen to this podcast so it's nice to hear from someone in a senior position who's obviously been through the journey of being new to tech and getting into the industry but also just sharing like, yeah, a lot of these tips don't really change necessarily, right? Just because <laughs> you're a junior or a senior doesn't really change. But you're absolutely right where over time and over experience, there are things you probably have to adapt to a little bit differently. So you talk talking about context switching. There's not much of that expected from a junior dev versus a senior dev. So right. it's awesome that, you know, with these tips in mind, let's say starting as a junior dev, you get to build on them. some of the other tips that you just shared. So I think for people who are maybe in a mid-level position or someone who's transitioning from like a junior to mid, mid to senior, it's nice to know that, hey, like these tips and foundational things you you learned early on, they're still going to serve you well as you move up. There's just new things that you're going to add on top of it. So I love that in our conversation here, I feel like we've gotten... Like the whole journey, if you will. Like, obviously, there's much more to your journey afterwards, but I love hearing sort of the beginning of your journey and how you've gone to this place where now you're working with a company that you seem to be very happy about, and you're in a senior position working with other people and being on this podcast to share that experience. So, I think that's super awesome. That's so exciting to hear, especially from another woman in tech. Like,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. I feel like sometimes you just never know, like, am I ever going to make it to the senior position? Am I ever going to work with a team where I feel like I'm actually being heard? And I think right now, especially with COVID, it's such an interesting position where everyone's remote for the most part. So it's like, Okay, we're all sort of on common ground right now where we're in the comfort of our own space in our home. And it's just really cool to see how things are changing to be more accessible to everyone, right? Like a lot of people that I talk to now are kind of under the pretense of, hey, anyone can code, right? Like you don't need to have the fanciest machine. You don't need to have, you don't need to be in a community of like, all super genius coding experts or something. It's like, you (laughs) can totally start like a project with a friend of yours and create a practical and functional app that helps you and solve problems. So that's so awesome that like, even just talking to you, I'm like, so excited for your (laughs) journey. Like, obviously you, you know, in a senior position, I know might be a little bit different, but for like the other things that you will achieve in the future where like, no doubt you will, like, I'm so excited to hear that. And I'm just like, anticipating. Now I feel like I'm just going to be on your Twitter all the time. She's going to work on some cool stuff, man. So exciting.
3: I appreciate that so much. And I mean, I, I could say that the other way too. I'm really excited for you and having all of these hindsight 2020 things. I didn't have that. I think there were even fewer women in the industry when I started and it was just, it, it, felt, it felt really, really lonely. And now it's kind of lonely at the top, right? You know, it, it, you know senior, senior women engineers kind of thin out because either they leave the industry or they, they move into management or something. And so you do look around, and you're like, wait, it was supposed to be better and I'm not seeing any of my peers. And mm-hmm. so I'm excited for you because you seek those things out. And I think that's really important.
1: Thank you.
0: Okay, I think we have one more question and that is any tips, any tips in general for women in tech?
3: Yeah, I might have a controversial one. Keep it as brief as possible. When you work, especially as a programmer, you know, you probably will still be the minority for a while in your team. I mean, I'm lucky I work with um, two other women on my team and our team's quite small. So that's quite good. But you're going to receive varying, varying kind of angles of feedback about your skill set and where you need to improve. And it's not always going to come from your manager where, you know, that's more of an established expectation. And so weeding through that feedback and figuring out what's useful what's actually wrong and that person is just actually being malicious <laughs> or like misguided towards you or or telling you things that are not useful. Being able to weed through that is very, very difficult at the beginning, but it's really important because the people you work with every day are the most aware of what what your skill set is and where you need to improve, right? And like making the most of that is so important, but feeling that defensiveness where you can't tell if someone's just gatekeeping or not makes it very cloudy and hard to figure out what feedback to follow. And so, after a while, you can just end up so defensive that you're ignoring everything, and you're you're sort of you're actually more actively seeking out people who you don't work with, who are your friends, who are friendly, who can give you that psychological safety, and they can cheerlead you and pump you up. And you can kind of end up falling into a pattern without realizing it. And you'll always feel very scared and anxious, even though you're finding those people to pump you up, because you kind of know deep down that you still don't know what you don't know. And so, my advice is to find supportive people who even if you can just make projects with on the side or you can talk about your workday with if you don't work with them, so that they can objectively give you feedback on where you're at so that you can kind of see the same patterns in the feedback that's coming from your peers. And so the most important thing to, to sort of realize is that if someone's telling you, you need to sort of work on your programming foundations or your networking knowledge is letting you down because you're just you can't sort of reason about bugs and things and just sort of being able to really take that feedback on, see it as a gift and ask for support at work or um or ask a friend who's really good at networking or something to help you. And just try to get as many angles as you can, even though it hurts and it's scary and you feel like, oh, I'm going to get fired if this is real feedback. Just being able to objectively know where you're at in the industry will bring a lot of comfort, a lot of sort of potential to grow. And you'll be a better person to work with because you're able to isolate what the actual real feedback is, right? Because people want you to grow and Yeah. It's very hard. And I see this on Twitter. A lot of people will just find their friends and they will be like, no, you're awesome. And they've literally never worked with you in their life. They don't know that. They just (laughs) think you're a great person and they want to make you feel better. And so just not having that as a, a, a crutch to rely on, it's important to get out there and get the scary feedback that will help you grow. That's
1: amazing advice. Dang, I'll be honest. Out of all the podcasts you've done, I think that's my favorite tip
3: because (laughs) you're absolutely, I feel
1: like I, like that makes so much sense when you articulate it that way. And especially as not just even women in tech, but people who are transitioning to different careers or just wanting to move up in, in some way, right. Whether it's Mm -hmm. expanding your knowledge base, having a better opportunity to be promoted or apply the skills that you learn. Like it's so important to know where you are. And lots of times it's, I mean, I love that, you know, we're especially I feel like in the deaf community, there are so many people who want to be encouraging and they're like, yes, you can do it. And, and that's great. Like, this is not a sign to say, don't do that. Like, please continue to do that. But on the flip side, it is important to know, like, just logistically, like where are you? Because that gives you a clear path of what you need to learn, what you need to improve, where you can allocate your resources, whether, whether it's your mental effort, like your mental health, even time exactly. in your day, whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's awesome tip I 100% back that
0: (laughs) I think I think as well in, in in understanding yourself you you'll inevitably give yourself more confidence yes and you'll just have that ability to push yourself further That is definitely great advice. Yeah, Okay, I wish we could talk more. This has been amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We have to move on to picks now.
2: Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum. And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io.
0: So picks is where we each share something interesting. It doesn't have to be tech-related. It can be absolutely anything. So my pick for today is a GitHub repository called women hyphen in technology and it's, it's a repository geared towards developers in India um, looking to get into the field but I think a lot anybody can benefit from it really so it's a repository containing resources links for training materials scholarships just general reading materials and it's just definitely worth checking out so that's women hyphen in hyphen
1: technology and we'll share a link Ooh, later on nice Susan do you want to share your pick yeah so what's funny is usually my picks are not tech related, but today is actually be really tech related. So I graduated from a coding bootcamp called Launch Academy and they are now working with various other bootcamps, I believe, and they've created a program called boost.dev. And they're basically offering like one month long workshops, if you will, and courses uh, to learn specific skill sets. Now I am the type where I love learning new things on my own, but if it's something that I need to apply, then I feel like, okay, I need more of like a regimented curriculum of some sort. And so Mm -hmm. I think this would be more geared towards people who are most likely already working in the field. So have already a basic coding understanding, if you will, but want to learn a specific skill set. So like, I know one of the things that I see here, um, they have under web design, like design for developers. Like, I like pretty stuff. I don't know how to make the pretty stuff though. So (laughs) I need help from people who have that experience. And this is by no means saying you shouldn't look up you know, other tutorials and things on YouTube. I think we're living in such a crazy time right now where like information is literally at your fingertips. So I think, you know, if you happen to be someone who's working in the field, but you're wanting to learn specific skill sets and you like more of the regimented sort of going to school aspect, if you will, then this might be a cool fit. And based on the pricing, I feel like it's low enough where more than likely if you bring it up to your company to get reimbursed for it, they'd be likely to to um, entertain that at the very least, but it's really cool. Cause like I, they're fairly new, but what I can see right now is they have ones in machine learning, like AWS stuff, data at scale, which is more databases related. And yeah, like I'm super excited to try the design for developers one. So I think if there's anyone again, who has um, some evening time to dedicate to more of a regimented course, if you will, and this is something um, that your hopefully your company can support you in, I will definitely, recommend checking it out. And for anyone listening, if you guys know of similar companies, please share them because I am all for supporting like these bootcamp type of places as well. So again, it's called boost.dev. And yeah, I hope people will check it out. And I'd love to hear if anyone Like takes a course and see what they think about it.
3: That looks really awesome. I totally agree with you about just having a curriculum that Mm someone thought out for you because it breaks through that you don't know what you don't know thing, and you can just go through it at your leisure. And it, I I love that. So thanks for sharing.
0: Yeah. How about you, Suze? Yeah. So I also,
3: I also have a GitHub repo. Nice. And it was something that a friend shared with me recently. I asked her to. Zoom with me and share her screen and just walk me through her internal, what we call home lab, which is kind of just your own internal network that you have in your own house. Mm -hmm. And you can start with a Raspberry Pi plugged into your router, right? That's as simple as it can be. But she put me onto this repo, which is called Awesome Self Hosted. So it's like github.com slash awesome dash self-hosted slash <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome dash self-hosted. And it's it's just one of those like awesome lists that people contribute to. And it's just every piece of free software that people know about that you can actually download and get, get up and running on your own local network. And so for some people, they've already got things like Plex, right? Which serves all their movies to their TV or whatever, um, and so that's a great example of something that's self-hosted that probably has a lower barrier to entry. But you can mm-hmm. you can host your own blog internally, you can host your own chat, your IRC server, um, your own kind of office suite for writing documents. They have it all sort of categorized out and it's just absolutely incredible. <laughs> and it if you've ever wanted to kind of learn things like Docker or containers or even just like... How do, you, how do I even self-host a blog in the first place? Or like, what is actually happening when I'm visiting these software-as-a-service services? Like, what does it look like when I'm trying to set up my own? You can learn a lot just hosting this kind of stuff yourself, but you can also have your own little internal playground that is private to you, that you don't have to sign your life away to privacy policies just to use. And it can be a really nice, just little sort of, I guess, technical garden that you're landscaping and tending to Mm. privately. And so I really want to get into home labs just because I'm studying a cybersecurity degree right now. So I was looking for some really cool stuff to set up and learn about securing and learn about kind of zoning and things like that. So I've been getting really into this list because it's very long and very addictive to read through.
0: That looks absolutely (laughs) amazing. I've just started the repository. So much stuff to go through. Nice.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's going to take a few hours just to scroll through and you'll be like, ooh, I want yeah. that and that and that and that. And it has all the different licenses to it. Everything is listed by license, which is
0: great. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely incredible. I think you're an inspiration and I and I think you'll inspire a lot of our listeners today. I appreciate um, that so much. So my name is Lindsay Browning. If anyone would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at lbrowning86. Where can people find you, Suze, if they want to get in touch?
3: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at noopkat, so N-O-O-P-K-A-T. And I'm also on GitHub on the same too. I'm taking a couple of months break from open source for the first time in, I don't know, like six years or something. But I will be back and much more active there in the future, so.
1: Awesome. Thank you for actually saying that out loud because I always run it as Noobcat and I was like, awesome. I don't know what that means. But no, Noob you can Cat say cool it that too, way. So.
3: <laughs> yeah, you can say Most people say Noobcat because it sounds cuter that way and it rolls off the tongue easier, <laughs> but technically it's just named after the no-op assembly Mm. Um, instruction
0: and where can people find you susan ah yes so you can find me
1: on twitter at suki supremo or i'm pretty i I love just browsing twitter in general but i'm always looking at some stacklet stuff too we have a discord if anyone's interested in joining where we're trying to engage more with the community so Mm. yeah twitter and discord are the places to be so thank you very much all right thanks everyone for listening